Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. The election to replace George Santos in Congress from Queens and Nassau counties finally saw its only televised debate last night with six days of early voting already done. If you live in the district, you can still vote today through Sunday and on Election Day itself next Tuesday for Democrat Tom Swasey or Republican Mozzie Pillup. The Swasey versus Mozzie race is in its home stretch. We'll talk about the state of that race now and play some excerpts from the debate, which revealed policy differences on issues including abortion rights, banning semi-automatic assault weapons like AR-15s, and the bipartisan Senate border and aid to Israel bill. And we're delighted to have with us for this the moderator of the the debate, um, Rich Baratti, whose day job is to anchor mornings on News 12 Long Island and to host their show Power and Politics, and also Era Lewis, host of Inside City Hall, weeknights at 7 on Spectrum News New York One and a New York Magazine columnist. New York One airs in the five boroughs, News 12 airs in Nassau and Suffolk, so we've got the whole district covered. Errol, always great to have you. Welcome back. And Rich, thanks a lot for joining us. I know you're taking time out from your own show to do this. So thank you and welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me. I'll dive right in here with one of the biggest issues in this race, the asylum seekers who've been coming to New York in large numbers since 2022. In this clip, Republican candidate Pillip says what she wants Congress to do about the southern border, and Democratic candidate Swazi criticizes her for opposing the bipartisan border bill that the Senate took up this week. Pillip speaks first. Building the wall, increase more uh, control, border control numbers, and on top of it, we have to make sure we need to be tight when it comes to asylum seeker. I want to Border, I want to secure the borders because at the end of the day, this is our country. We need to make sure we need to know who's coming here. And if we decided to bring more people, we have to have plan and place uh, in order to help those people. Quick uh, response, and then I want to get to our viewers. Yeah, question. I'd like to. Um, right now, there's a bipartisan solution that's been negotiated in the United States Senate that builds more wall, that gets more Border Patrol agents, that speeds up the process for looking at asylum seekers. It now has a 10-year backlog, would actually bring it down to a matter of weeks. The Wall Street Journal said it has reforms that Trump never came close to getting. They were so close to getting this deal done, and then President Trump, former President Trump, came in and said, I don't want you to give a victory to Biden. After looking for this, all these problems, terrorists are coming over, fentanyl, all these problems, and I agree there's problems. We finally have a chance to have a solution, and we're not going to do it because President Trump said it will help Biden. As Mitt Romney said, that's appalling. So one addendum to that exchange, about a minute later, Pillip dismisses the idea that Swazi was pursuing there, that there was a meaningful bipartisan bill. The Senate bill that came, it didn't even pass. I don't know which bipartisan bill are you talking about. It didn't even come to the floor because it did. The reason for that, it doesn't really secure our borders. 
Tom Swazi and Mozzie Pillip from their News 12 debate last night. Listeners, anyone out there right now who watched the debate, give us any of your impressions on that or these campaigns generally, or ask questions of our guests, uh, Rich Barabi from News 12, who moderated the debate, and Errol Lewis from New York 1, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692, call or text. Rich, first of all, what was it like to moderate this debate? As we heard in those first clips, it was a slugfest of accusations in both directions. It it certainly was, Brian, and I think we knew that's how it was going to go going into it because of the fact that this is the only debate. It is this close to Election Day, early voting, of course, well underway. And so both candidates not only were seeking to define themselves against the ads that are running against them, but also to define their opponents. And we certainly saw that on this issue, among others, because the migrant crisis really has emerged as the number one issue in this race, which I'm not sure everyone recognized would be the case six weeks ago. But here we are, and they are digging into it. And Swazi tried to get on the offensive because throughout this campaign, he has been painted as someone weak on borders. They've called him Sanctuary Swazi in some of these ads. So he got on the offensive early, but uh, Pillip, rather, was able to stand her ground and reiterate the same talking points that are resonating with so many voters in this district. Well, give me your sense as a Long Island politics show host. Is this as important an issue to voters in the district as all this makes it seem? Almost all the asylum seekers are in the city and very few in Nassau County, I think, or is that wrong? It's it's 100% right in terms of it being the number one issue. When you walk the district, when you talk to voters, even though, as you said, rightfully, that, you know, the migrant issue at this point is more of a New York City issue. Long Islanders, especially in this district, are very concerned about it. And this third district is not the third district of Tom Swazi's first go around. There are different lines here. This district now incorporates much more Republican territory in places like Levittown, Bethpage, North Massapequa. And so that is why the Pillip campaign from day one has sought to define Swazi as weak on borders and tying him to President Biden and his policies on this issue. So, Era, listening to those exchanges and following the race generally, would you say they have actual policy differences on the border or only on how to achieve uh you know, policy goals that they have in common? Well, I, I think there are some um, policy differences, although they were muted. Uh, you know, everyone agrees that there has to be some kind of uh, federal action. Uh, the only question is how and when. And to the extent that we have this deadlock in Washington over the question of when, it's a deeply political question, right? I mean, there are uh, really a lot of signs that People are simply trying to game the politics of it uh, so that certain bills are not making it to the floor or are declared non-starters, not because there's anything substantively wrong with the bill, or at least we don't hear that. What we end up really seeing is that people are saying, well, we'll we'll do this, but we'll do it later when we have a different president. Let's not help uh, the current White House. Let's see if we can get a reset on this. And it's a it's a legitimate tactic, although a, a somewhat uh unprincipled one on some level uh you you know you can delay legislation if you think you, you you can get a better deal later and i think that's to the extent that you would call it a policy difference i think that's really what you're looking at right well errol we heard mozzie pillip deride the idea 
of a bipartisan Senate bill since, as it turned out, there were not enough Republican votes in the Senate to actually pass it, even though a group of Republicans worked with a group of Democrats to write the bill. And and this week, and I want to get your comment on that, this as someone who also um, talks about national politics, this week we saw the spectacle of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell before the bill, before he was against it, a blatant flip in a very short time frame of just a matter of days. So was this just fealty to Donald Trump so Trump could have a campaign issue instead of progress actually being made like Swazi was claiming there? Or can it be seen any other way? Well, there, there are a number of people who d- did exactly uh, in the Senate who did exactly what you just described, that it was fealty to Donald Trump, period. Uh, now, what goes with that when you get to the level of a Mitch McConnell is he wants a majority. He wants to win control of the Senate. He wants his old job back as majority leader. Uh, and that means making sure there are enough Republicans that uh, su- survive this election uh, to, to make him the leader again. And that means kind of listening to what they say. So if they're doing what Trump wants and they would constitute, in theory, the majority that might make him uh, the, the boss of the Senate again, then Mitch McConnell's going to sort of play along. And that's been the story all along. There are those uh, who think that it is a shameful uh, use of politics to put uh, those kind of political considerations above the substance of a really important, really urgent issue, whether it's the border itself or some of the other uh, uh, aid packages that were uh, tied to it, like aid to Ukraine or aid to Israel. Uh, but, you know, we take the politics the way we find them. And uh, I think that's that's exactly what we've got. We've got a really hyper political environment. And that's really came through during the debate as well, where it was almost like a, a European style uh, debate uh, at times where it was just kind of, look, you're a Democrat. So this is what you stand for, uh, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've said, regardless of what you believe. If you have this label, uh, you're, you're going to have to be. Uh, credited or blamed for right. anything that that party does. Very and, unusual. For the and, and vice versa, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Swazi over and over again said, look, you know, I mean, especially on abortion and a number of other issues, said, if you're with this Republican majority, this is what you're going to do is provide uh, one more vote and possibly the margin of victory on a lot of key issues. It's um, it's It's really what voters are being asked to choose from. Right. And it's true in this race, as it will be in many uh, in this whole election year for Congress. The old cliche that all politics is local is kind of getting flipped to all politics is national. So let's take abortion rights as the next issue with another clip from the debate. And spoiler alert for those of you who haven't been following the race, they do have a difference on what Congress should do on abortion rights. But Swazi has been running attack ads claiming that Pillip or highlighting that Pillip is being supported by backers of a national abortion ban with no exceptions, even for rape or incest. But it's not Pillip's position uh, that that should be the law of the land. And Pillip accused Swazi of lying about her stance on abortion rights, which she states here. It is a personal decision, a personal choice. So every woman should have that choice i'm not gonna tell her what to do and i made it so clear it's so personal to me so you're pro-choice again this is a personal choice every woman will make that decision you have been lying lying to the public 
So Mozzy Pillip there from last night's debate. Rich, she would not use the term pro-choice, as you heard Swazi trying to get her to. In fact, she said she's pro-life, but believes that a woman has a right, as she was describing there. So to my eye, the Swazi ads and flyers are misleading on this topic. But what I think you brought out last night in the debate was that they do have a significant disagreement still. Swazi would vote to codify Roe versus Wade, abortion rights, into U.S. law. Pillip would not and supported the Supreme Court uh, decision overturning Roe. Did, did I get that right from the back and forth they had? I think that's right, Brian. I think Pillip tried to walk the line of making it clear to voters in this district where this is a very important issue that she would not infringe upon their uh, pro-choice abilities. However, she would not say she is pro-choice. And her stance is not all that different from what we've heard in the past from some Democrat lawmakers. Even President Biden has said in the past, personally, I'm pro-life as a Catholic. However, that is not my role as a legislator. That's what Pillip is saying here. However, I don't know if it's enough. If this is your number one issue, if you are concerned about abortion rights and you want Roe versus Wade codified into law, I don't know that Mozzie Pillip told you something last night that makes you say, okay, I'm with Pillip. However, on the same point, I don't think she showed in any kind of extremist agenda as has been portrayed in some of the ads against her on this issue. So it's up to the voters now to determine if she walked that line well enough. But Tom Swazi, again, was certainly on the offensive on this topic. And Errol, she was walking a line there, as Rich just put it, an act of needle threading. Another way to look at it that Pillip is doing there supports the Dobbs decision, does not support a national ban, but also does not support codifying Roe and won't call herself pro-choice, which is about policy. It's not about your own personal you know, relationship with, with your own pregnancies. Swazi's position is, we can say, at least more consistent and therefore maybe more predictable once uh, he is in Congress compared to how predictable Pillip might be. Uh, he opposed the Dobbs decision, supports Roe versus Wade as national law if Congress can vote on such a bill. So what? how did you hear that act of needle threading? Well, she she um, got frustrated because it's a difficult line to take that she had to uh, go to what was frankly a mainstream Republican uh, position not that long ago, um, and somehow not say that she's pro-choice. So, so you know, she she you know, in the end, um, my wife and I were kicking it around. Um, the closest I think that she could have come to saying exactly what she meant was to say. Um, uh, uh, I am pro-choice and I choose life. You know, she she thinks that as the mother of seven kids, um, women can and should make their own decision. And she personally has made a decision uh, to have seven kids. Uh, she does not want to deny uh, women the, the right to make a similar or different choice. And she says on her website, she will not support a national abortion ban. But, you know, it's very hard to sort of carve out that position at this point to say, I, I wanted Roe versus Wade struck down. Uh, I believe that uh, a pro-life position is a principled one, and I happen to hold it. However, I don't want a national ban on abortion. That is, that's just that. That's just a very narrow uh, piece of political turf to try and stand on. Uh, and you could hear her visibly, you know, you could see her visibly getting upset 
as she tried to sort of uh, occupy that increasingly or, or this shrinking little piece of political turf that doesn't have a lot of uh, standing right now in national politics or in the third district. Yeah, so if people are voting on that issue, it's going to come down to who do you trust. Another issue on which Pillip seemed to be threading the needle, or maybe in this case actually trying to obscure her own position, assault weapons. As you'll hear in this clip, she's been saying she supports a ban on automatic assault weapons, but they're already banned in the United States, is semi-automatics like AR-15s, that most Republicans are protecting now and the Democrats want to see banned, those rifles that are used so often in mass shootings, will hear both candidates in this clip. I have an F rating from the NRA. That's the one F in my life that I'm proud of. And the reality is, is that I've sponsored every piece of major gun legislation, uh, gun safety legislation, in the Congress. I would like to know from Ms. Pillup when she answers this question, will she vote to ban semi-automatic weapons like AR-15s. It's a very simple, straightforward question. Her conservative party that she disagrees with uh, says that, no, we got to keep it the way it is. So let's see how, what she says. Again, I'm going to... Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I, as a mother of seven children, I do worry, again, about mass shooting. Absolutely. And we have to do matter to make sure that guns stays in the hands of people with no mental issues, people not with criminal record, people with, um, or terrorists, okay? We need to do better. We have to make sure we have background check. We have to make sure we have a training. We have to make sure we're following the rules and regulation. And I support waiting uh, period, time period. It's very important for us to follow the regulation. I don't see any reason why average American or individual we should have more powerful weapon than our cops. I don't see that. Therefore, I'm not going to support uh, assault automatic weapon. Okay. Would you would you support a, a federal ban on assault rifles? I said I'm not going to support. I'm not. I'm going to ban automatic assault weapon. Automatic or already automatic, banned? It's semi-automatic. Will you ban semi-automatic AR-15? Anything that's more powerful. Uh, than any our cops holding. So I'm not going to support that. So, Rich, for you moderating the debate last night and covering the race generally, it did sound to me like Mozzie Pillip refused to come out there against AR-15s and was using the category of automatic assault weapons to hide her actual position on the current issue, which is the semi-automatics, like AR-15s, or did she leave a misimpression in the debate somehow? I think this is one of those issues in the debate where she would go only so far. She would go right to that line without actually saying what she would do if elected. We saw that on the migrant crisis. She talked generally about the broader talking points when you're talking about sealing the border, adding more agents. We talked about the same thing on abortion. And here we are again on this issue of uh, assault rifles. And she didn't quite get there. But, you know, there's there's another part to this for Mozzie Pillip. Mozzie Pillip is a registered Democrat. And so, while again, she's trying to walk this line in what is a purple swing district. She is, I think, also sensitive to the idea that if Republicans are going to win this race, if she's going to win this race, it's going to be based on GOP turnout. The Republicans have turned out so well over the past two or three years in Nassau County. You have talked about it. It's been a red wave, whether they're countywide elections, state races here, or now in this congressional race. Even George Santos's race 
honestly was was swept up into that. So for Pillup, she doesn't want to lose that right flank either. So it seems she'll only go so far at this point because she is sensitive to the idea that she is hearing from some conservatives who are saying, why did we nominate a Democrat? We're the Republican Party. I think she's sensitive to it. Errol, I know you come from a law enforcement family. Can you give us any context on the standard that Pillip was trying to set there? No weapons more powerful than the cops have? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the the position of law enforcement, including in the New York area, has been that nobody should have automatic weapons, period. Uh, and if you uh, push them a little bit, probably most of them would, would say, both uh, organizationally and personally and professionally, that semi-automatics are a problem as well. Uh, and, you know, and, and and yet that's at odds with where the National Republican Party is. So once again, you have this odd place where um, Mazi is trying to uh, is, is trying to sort of uh, uh, make sure that she holds her endorsements in place, make sure that she's in tune with the National Party, since they also are funding uh, and supporting her campaign in a big, big way. And then so Mazi Pillup has to sort of say, well, you know, yes, I, I don't want to necessarily uh, deal with the semi-automatic issue. So let me just revert to taking the stance that my local supporters have, have taken, which is that uh, semi-automatics are a problem. Now, she couldn't come out and say that because that would put her at odds with the National Party. And uh, Swazi tried to sort of pounce on that. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's very tough to sort of suss out in the heat of a debate. But that, I think, is why she ended up there. Rich, I know you have to go back to work on your own show now on News 12, so thank you very much for taking this time. Just give our listeners, not on Long Island, your quick take on why the voters of Nassau and Suffolk have gone so Republican in the last few years. Both county executives have flipped from Democratic to Republican, and in the congressional delegation, it used to be two and two. Now all four are Republicans. What has happened in these suburbs just outside super blue New York City? Well, it's a great question, Brian. I think on Long Island, we've seen seen this be a cyclical thing that takes place. You mentioned earlier, all of a sudden now, all politics seem to be national. When Donald Trump was president, Democrats were winning on Long Island. When President Biden was elected, Republicans have been sweeping through offices, whether we're talking about village or town level races. Even in the governor's race, Lee Zeldin did very well on Long Island. And Republicans have seized on frustration with measures in Albany, whether they're tied to Governor Hochul, whether it's tied to crime, inflation, and President Biden. And I really believe that Mozzie Pillip and the Republican Party in this race are once again saying, listen, if we stick to what's worked for us, if we turn out our people, if we don't make any big mistakes, we can win this thing again. It's kind of the Santos playbook from two years ago. Obviously, very different candidate. I'm sure she'd be the first to point that out. But the playbook has worked in all of these different races, and it looks like they're going to stick to it. We'll see if it works on Tuesday. All right, Rich, but Rabbi does have to go. We'll continue in a minute with Errol Lewis. And your calls, Rich Barabi moderated last night's debate, is co-anchor of Mornings on News 12 and host of their show, Power and Politics. Rich, thanks so much. Thank you. And more with Errol in a minute. Brian Lehrer on WNYC will continue now on the Tom Swazi Mazi Pillip race to replace George Santos in Congress from Queens and Nassau County 
And if we have time, which I hope we will, we'll touch on some other New York City politics with Era Lewis that he's been writing about in New York Magazine. Errol is host of Inside City Hall, weeknights at 7 on Spectrum News, New York One, and a New York Magazine columnist. And listeners, we can take a few phone calls and comments or questions via text message on the Philip Swazi race, Mazi versus Swazi, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. In fact, let me take a phone call right now. Here's Ray in Seaford. You're on WNYC. Hi, Ray. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you, Errol. And uh, I really appreciate the job Rich did yesterday with hosting the debate. You know, my concern, though, was this district got so much attention even before the Santos situation because it was so gerrymandered. And even now, you know, we've got Queens to Massapequa. Many of the people I know, many of my friends in Queens were complaining that they weren't able to get the debate last night. And so I guess my question is, is that, you know, does Errol feel it's fair that, you know, parts of the, the district uh, couldn't even see last night? And, and what does that mean in terms of representation? It seems like these gerrymandered districts are crazy, but CD3 going from Queens to Massapequa is particularly crazy. I just wanted his thoughts on, on, uh, on, on that. Ray, thank oh, you. Yeah, a, a sore point with us, actually. We, um, we asked to moderate a debate. Um, I don't know why they couldn't have done at least two, at least one in the city, because there are some city voters that are in this district. Um, but Mozzie Pillip uh, did not uh, agree. In fact, she wouldn't even come on our show to be interviewed. So, you know, she was running a, a you could call it low key or even stealth candidacy. Uh, and that's, you know, that's her right. You know, you, you can't make people talk if they don't want to talk on camera. Um, I, I think it is a shame for, for the voters. I mean, th consider this, the, uh, the, the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center, which is one of the sites where, you know, migrants have been housed and so forth. It's a voting location. You know, it's not, huh. you know, and, and, it, and they spent more time and passion on that than almost any other issue during the one debate that Mozzie Pillip agreed to. It would have been really it would have been a great thing if they had really included the New York City portion in particular. Uh, and had more debates in general so that people could hear more about the different issues. Uh, you know, you can say that, well, maybe we, we don't necessarily need to do that, but I think it would have been better for everybody if we had. As far as the actual boundaries of the district, I'm not so sure about that. I think Eastern Queens has a lot in common uh, with the suburbs, uh, both in voting behavior as well as, you know, look, frankly, the terrain. If you drive, you know, I spent a lot of time out in Great Neck. And, um, you know, unless I'm paying attention, it's not entirely clear when I've gone uh, outside the city limits. Right. And as some listeners have heard me say before, I grew up in the Queens part of that district. Uh, and that is certainly true the way it's trending these days. Uh, we recall that that part of Queens elected a, a pretty MAGA Republican to city council, Vicky Palladino. Um, but uh, but to Ray's point, here's another text from a listener who says the reason we got George Santos is because we didn't vet him. She, Mazi Pillip, is not transparent and refuses to debate in bigger media or go on this show, which is true. She declined our invitation to come on here one on one, just as I guess she declined yours, um, mm -hmm. Errol. And I will say that that's a contrast with 
other Republican members of the congressional delegation uh, who've been elected recently, George Santos, for example, himself from the same district, did come on the show for a candidate interview. We've had some of the other newly elected Republicans from our region, um, D'Esposito from Long Island, Lolota from Long Island, Lawler uh, from just north of the city. But it seems like, and I think it's worth one more comment on, Errol, that it is a strategy. Um, Rich said earlier that their strategy is to turn out the Republican vote and I guess they're doing this with lawn signs. They're doing this with social media. They're doing this, I assume, with targeted mailers. Um, but for whatever reason, they don't think it's to their benefit to have her even be seen uh, with wider exposure. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's not it's not a crazy idea. And I think you're, you're uh, implying exactly what the logic might be here, which is, uh, if you get your base out and everybody else goes to sleep, then you win. Uh, you know, it's not much more complicated than that. And one reason that they've done so well, the Republicans have over the last couple of years, is that the county chairman, Joe Cairo, is a very, very savvy guy. I mean, I've heard nothing but amazing praise for him, not just from Republicans either, but from Democrats who are in awe of his ability to sort of maneuver out there. Uh, this district, by the way, apparently... Um, uh, Chuck Schumer did not win in this district. Apparently, as well, uh, the the, uh, the 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 state controller Tom DiNapoli did not win uh, in his last re-election campaign. Did not carry the district, and he's well, from out there. Yeah, um, although Bi Biden know, did, though we should say right. Biden, Biden won by did. eight points. Bi yeah. Biden won by eight points, but then again, consider Tom Swazi saying specifically while Biden was in town just uh, earlier this week. Uh, basically said publicly, I don't want him in the district. Don't come by here. So, you know, the the, the Republicans are going to try and turn out every bit of their of their of their base, even if they have a registered Democrat as their candidate. Uh, and by contrast, the Democrats are, I think, a little skittish. They've been bruised over the last couple of years and they're not going to do what you would normally expect them to do, which is bring in the president. Uh, play up the fact that, you know, I, I know the president and we can get some goodies for the district, if nothing else, mm -hmm. uh, and, and turn out every Democrat in the district. They're, they're actually not doing that. It's really uh, it's really quite striking. Yeah. And in fact, just as Rich earlier was talking about the strategy um, by Pillip to turn out the Republican base, it looks to me like a risk for Swazi is that he's playing it so centrist that I wonder if there are enough swing voters who are actually undecided in weighing these choices to give him a victory when he's not playing to liberal Democratic passions all that much to turn out the Democratic base. Like he talked about, uh, well, we're going to play a, a clip in a minute of, of him and one of Pillip talking about anti-Semitism which he talked about passionately, but he didn't mention Islamophobia or anti-Palestinian hate when the recent news has things like Palestinian Americans being shot in apparent hate crimes in Austin this week and in Burlington last fall, some kind of chemical attack on some pro-Palestinian protesters at Columbia University last month. And, and neither candidate specified that this is a problem both ways, just talked about hate generally and anti-Semitism specifically. 
But Swazi needs strong Democratic turnout as well as swing voters. And I wonder if you, as someone who watches these politics closely, think he's taking a calculated risk there. He is very much taking a risk. And uh, it's kind of a a, look, I I will defer to Tom Swazi, former mayor of Glen Cove, who's the son of a former mayor of Glen Cove, who was the Nassau County executive and who represented part of this district in Congress for years. I will defer to him as far as where the wind is blowing and, you know, whether it makes sense to try and uh, do a base strategy or whether it's better to lay low with the base and try and pull in some independents uh, or bring home uh, some of the Democrats who have started to vote Republican, uh, of whom Mozzie Pillow herself is a, a prime example. Uh, I, I, put, putting aside everything else, there will be a lot of finger pointing if Tom Swazi loses this race. I mean, the the National Democrats, the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, they put in a lot of time and resources. The minority leader, the head of the Democrats in the in, in Congress, uh, our own Hakeem Jeffries, went out there to campaign for him. Uh, if all of this kind of blows up in their face or it doesn't work out the way that they're hoping, um, that that question will be squarely on the table. How do you expect to win as a Democrat if you're acting like you're ashamed to be a Democrat? Yeah. You know, what what do you stand for? What does the party stand for? Why are you in this party if you're not a uh, if you're not willing to to go out and, and carry the flag for the party? It's a perfectly legitimate question. I think this of all of the districts, really, almost in the whole country, if you were going to make an exception, this might be it. Because, you know, as you were talking about before, uh, Brian, not just this area, but really all of Long Island, it's a swing area. And when they swing, they all swing together. Mm. Uh, And some of those swings can last a couple of cycles, can last several years. Right now, we're clearly in a red phase. And there's a question of whether or not Swazi, with all of his gifts and all of his history, uh, can be the exception to the rule. Well, here's maybe a very relevant caller to this point. Diane, who was out canvassing for Swazi, I believe, in the district last Saturday. Diane, do I have that right? Hello. That 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 is correct. That's a perfect introduction, and thank you for taking my call. This is that was one of the swingiest canvases I've ever been on. I think if I had gone back and talked to the same person five minutes later. They might have given me a different answer in terms of their motivations and their inclinations. The next few days for any of these candidates is going to be making the case and getting out the vote. People want to engage. They they want to learn. They want to be active. But the candidate needs to deliver the bona fides and motivate people to get out to the polls. And as a reminder, there's early voting today and Saturday and Sunday. The polls are closed on Monday and then regular election day on Tuesday. Right. Good to remind people again. Diane, was there any particular issue that jumped out at you uh, that had people so on the fence? Well, you know, um, the area that I canvassed um, had very many people who were first generation from other parts of the globe. Um, They were naturalized voters and they felt very passionately about about the immigration issue. Um, They had some very strong thoughts about that and I think it's very interesting in the last few days what's happened around that issue in Congress and I think there are very many important and relevant talking 
points about what's happened in Congress that the candidates can can really have authentic dialogue with their potential constituents. Um, it's an important issue. Certainly, it's a political one, but it's something I think both candidates should address if they are truly running to represent, you know, their potential constituents Diane, in the last few days. Thank you. Yep. Thank, thank you very much for chiming in. Interesting uh, in the way that Diane helped us report that story with her experience canvassing last weekend. I'll touch one more issue from the debate with clips. In this case, it was one that they agree on, that anti-Semitism is a problem in the district and in the country right now. First, here's Tom Swazi. Anti-Semitism is very real. Uh, the fear people are feeling is very real. Uh, and I empathize with young people, especially, that are being subjected to this hateful rhetoric uh, as we speak. Uh, there's a problem in our country with division and with hate. And when everything is just an attack and attack and attack and no actual solutions, it raises the temperature and makes things worse for people. When I was in Congress, I supported a piece of legislation, actually built it with the, co uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus, 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans, to build support for it throughout the country for the Never Again Education Act, to teach people about the realities of the Holocaust. And here's Mozzie Pillip. As a black woman, as a Jew, as a mother, I hear you. I have been fighting anti-Semitism in the last three years because my son, I have seven children, my son wanted, uh, for his bar mitzvah, he wanted a Star of David necklace. When he wanted that, I wanted to give it to him as a mother, but I was very concerned. Should I give him or not? And since October 7, we are seeing anti-Semitism out of control. I feel the colleges. I was in the rally in front of Columbia holding students' hands and demanding that Columbia will do better to protect the Jewish student. So, Errol, they agreed on the issue, as we can hear. And I think this gets to one of the reasons that the Republican County Party leaders chose Pillip out of many Republicans who wanted to be the nominee for this seat. In the post-October 7th world, in a district with a large Jewish population, here they have a newcomer for most voters who is an Ethiopian immigrant to Israel and served in the armed forces there before moving as a legal immigrant to New York. That checks a very unusual and relevant combination of boxes uh, demographically, in addition to her views on the issues, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I mean, look, what I, I uh, take all of those demographic unique qualities and put it together as an outsider. Uh, you know, e even frankly, as an Ethiopian uh, going to uh, Israel, there's a whole issue with Ethiopian Jews that's been going on for decades. Uh, they're not entirely accepted there. So there's a sort of an outsider status there. Uh, she then comes to this country and immigrants are often not exactly welcome, even in New York City or, or, or the surrounding suburbs. And so you've got that. Uh, you've got uh, somebody who, as a black American now, is is in a, another sort of minority category. And, and women um, have gotten the short end of the stick in politics and elsewhere for a long, long time. So this is somebody who, when she speaks, the passion comes right through. The experience is real. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't hurt in a district that has a lot of Jewish voters 
uh, that she was not just Israeli, not just Jewish, but a, an IDF paratrooper, you know, so who um, she's 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 got, you know, on paper, a lot of the qualities that you want. And a lot of that did come through in how she spoke, including that clip that you just played. Right. And the district is demographically interesting. Very few black or Latino residents, but about 18 percent Asian-American, as well as around 70 percent white. And the Asian-American population in the district includes many Chinese and Korean-American families in the Queens part of the district and many South Asians in the Nassau part. I don't know how many of those Indian Americans or other South Asians are Muslim, um, but there are various Asian American groups who are apparently included in the real swing voter demographics in New York politics right now. Hey, Earl, I want to give you a quick shot at uh, a comment on your latest article in New York Magazine, headline, Andrew Cuomo wants the kind of redemption that comes from winning an election. What? <laughs> well, I wanted to look, I wanted to say in the column what I um, have said uh, to uh, a lot of people, including Andrew Cuomo himself privately, which is that, you know, it's an odd situation, but he has no forum in which to argue the case that he wants to make. He wants to make the case and is trying in court, which is not the, the greatest forum, to say that all of the women uh, who accused him of, of sexual misconduct um, are either uh, obviously lying or, 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 or are not credible. He's also trying to make the case that the people who presented these cases, and by that he means primarily the Attorney General, Letitia James, as well as some of her allies in the State Assembly, uh, have all been unfair to him as well. Uh, he additionally wants to make the case that the press has been unfair to him. And, you know, look, if you don't have any place else to go, as far as I can tell, the place where he can make the case that he has been wronged, that he still has something to offer and that he should be returned to public life is, well, look, go out there and have somebody elect you. Uh, you know, I mean, that 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 can silence all of the critics or at least hold them at bay. Uh, long enough to to get you back so, in the game if that's what you're determined to do. So there's been a little buzz that he might primary Eric Adams for mayor next year. Do you think that's a real possibility? Uh, you know, it depends. It depends. If I, I think, look, I would say this as a blanket statement that nobody would quarrel with, which is that if Andrew Cuomo sees daylight, he will run toward it. If he thinks there is a reasonable chance of him becoming mayor of New York, running for governor, I would even throw in Congress, he will take that shot. Uh, You know, there's polling that showed that he would be a a contender if Eric Adams were to go away. Uh, That's that's enough to get anybody's appetite whetted. Uh, He's also got millions of dollars that can be deployed. He left office with a campaign fund that wasn't wasn't, um, uh, super full for a statewide race, but was pretty formidable for a citywide race. And so... He's, you know, he's he's in a position to do it if if all of the stars lined up Um, and like any good politician, he's going to keep his eyes on the stars and see if they're lining up for him. Eric Lewis hosts Inside City Hall weeknights at seven on Spectrum News New York one. And he is a New York magazine columnist. Errol, thanks, as always. Thank you, Brian.